You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is the guy that I refer to every few episodes about something I feel like. It's always bad. (laughs) What do you mean? Since meeting you, back surgery, bear attack almost die on a ski hill in Utah. Just <laughs> all bad. Do you think there's a correlation there between all those things and me being the, the common denominator? Probably not. Now that I come to think of it, two knee surgeries, no podiums, <laughs> balding. You oh. started balding before I met you. There's no proof of that. <laughs> What was it we were saying on Tuesday? The only common denominator and good or bad things in your life is you. So leave me out of this shit. I don't know. I'm finding a second denominator. Our TJ and I, our only common denominator is you. See, right. you're, you're pointing fingers. You're making race excuses in your own way towards me right now. It's hurtful. We'll survive it. <laughs> I will say we're going to get into this with, with TJ, but, uh, there was a sense of ownership as you were laying in the hospital for three days after Utah that I felt like might have been my fault. So that's the biggest yeah. one. Yeah, I could sense that in, in the text in our conversation for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was my fault and just bad luck, I think. But some of it was uh, a little frightening for sure. I want to uh, I want to give a preface to this conversation. That's quite a cliffhanger to begin this interview on. <laughs> Lane in the hospital, quite frightening. All right, so moving on, we'll get back to that at some point. Yeah. We don't like to get to the good stuff till we're like an hour in bracken, you know that. That's right. I I was just want to preface this conversation with so TJ, this is TJ Schroffnagel. Uh one, TJ, did you ever think you'd be on a running podcast? Never. <laughs> probably probably the last guy that should be on a running podcast for sure. Is this your Ross? This is yeah. my Ross, but this is my Ross who has zero running background. Negative running background. Like less than Ross. For like sure. Exponentially less than Ross. But, but TJ and I, uh, TJ has become one of my best friends, but we met a few years ago and you came to me for, uh, I think personal training and yep. we're going to get into your story and all that, but to set the backstory, you're a stud uh, football player um, with the with the football body and physique and strong man and muscly and power and fast twitch. And you probably made fun of the runners as they went by when you were practicing in college. I would assume that was kind of the group that you were in in some capacity. I didn't make fun of anybody. It just wasn't my thing. Like in high school, especially because we were close to the cross country people, we'd see them running by every day. It just wasn't something I could imagine. It's cross country now seems like, well, such short races. But back then it was like, oh my God, those guys run forever. And I couldn't fathom how that could be fun. Um, I also didn't really have the physique for it. I was, I'm a bigger guy. Um, and I grew up playing football. So uh, my brother was a stud football player and I just wanted to be like him. And so that's just what we did. Um, 
you know, as kids, you kind of follow, like you, Kirk, you followed what your dad did. And um, that's kind of what I did. So I was a, a football guy. You know, I played four sports. I did end up running track for a couple of years, uh, more so to improve it, you know, my speed for football. But um, yeah, running wasn't a thing I did for fun or for distance. I never, I ran a 400 once in a meet um, in a four by four. That didn't go well. Um, Too long for you? Well, I didn't know anything. I, I, I think I ran a 23 split on my 200 because I didn't know there's like a pace to it. I just took off and then it ended poorly. My piano got tied to your back on the way home. <laughs> yeah. So that was the last time I did that. Um, but, you know, I was a 100, 200 guy. I ran it just for a couple of years and did well. Um, but anything over a 400 was just not in the cards for me. Mm. Uh, well, I want, well, I want to continue to set this up in the fact that, you know, we started working together personal training and then we became like bass fishing buddies. And then we just became friends outside of personal training together. And then I don't know why you got curious about endurance athletics or Spartan racing, but the culmination of this ends uh, as of recent with a guy who running once around the track was a lot completed the Utah ultra in which had a 24% completion rate, which means 76% of people dropped out and you were not one of them. And your story on the race and what happened afterwards makes, gives me the chills a little bit. So that is why I thought it would be really interesting to talk to you today because you don't check the boxes or never have really to be an endurance athlete. And all we saw all week after Utah was how brutal it was, how many DNFs, I can't, I won't, I didn't, it's okay, I dropped. And little to know, there was one TJ, one big TJ Schroffnagel out on that mountain leaving his soul out there. <laughs> and that's worth the conversation. Yeah, um, I'm happy to share the experience for sure. And, and an endurance background isn't something I have or something I wanted to pursue. I think I got into this by, I think – you guys were doing a race in Minnesota not long after I met you. And you said, why don't you go come out and do the Spartan race? And I think it's the one Bracken took a wrong turn um, part of the way through. And, and, uh, and it, if I remember, it was a short one, like a sprint or it was, so it wasn't a, an endurance thing, but that was my first entrance into doing something like this. Um, and then you talked me into doing the Utah uh, world championship race which was fun. I did it with my wife. It wasn't, we didn't train super hard for it. You know, we were prepared, but it was more to go have fun as a couple. Tahoe, um, I mean, Tahoe. Or Tahoe, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tahoe. So we went out there more of sort of cheer on you, but you know, it was, it was a blast and we, it was just a good bonding experience for my wife and I to try. Um, but then, you know, I was driving last winter out to go do something and I heard Ross's and, and, uh, Bracken's story of you know him preparing to do that race in Tennessee, and it kind of inspired me to do something more challenging because there's, you know, I think Bracken made a point on one of these that you know you can finish an ultra, like you could walk it and, and get by, um, but I wanted to kind of push it and challenge myself, and I felt well anyone can do a beast. You can go up there and spend five six hours, take your time and get through it, but. I wanted to do something a little harder, and listening to Ross, that sounded difficult, and I thought. I should maybe push myself. And um, so I texted you and said, let's do one in like North Carolina, something flat, 
you know, a little more manageable. And you said, I want you to do the mountains and get the full experience. That was the text I looked. <laughs> that's, that's such a Kirk DeWitt <laughs> it is. response, isn't it? Totally. And then he didn't even come out there to cheer me on. He's, oh, I'm not doing that race. I'm skipping that place. Sucks. So <laughs> he, he steered me to Utah. Did he choose Utah for you? No, yes. no, no, no. No, yeah, no. he did. All right, we came up with a list, and your son plays high-level football who's going to go to college to play. And the later ones in the year, which I wanted you to do, not at elevation, you couldn't because you prioritize your son's gains, which I respect. Sure. So then by default, Utah it was. I'm defending myself. Continue. Yeah. So, that, I mean, it was really the only one left that was an option. So Kirk said, all right, you need to go do Utah. Nothing else is even on the list, and I'm not coming with you. Well, that came later. I assumed he was because it was a national series race. Um, so I just assumed, well, he'll be there because why wouldn't he be? Um, and I, you know, I was like, well, it's elevation. I can handle that. Um, and it's some climbing fine. You know, Tahoe was like that. So it's all good. Um, but then I, so that was December. So I started training February 1st, January. All I did was, I did this thing where I was going to do a marathon a day of biking and running, you know, more biking than running, obviously, just to do a bunch of cardio. Cause I'm a, I, I want to say in January, I was probably, I was actually 239. Um, I probably ran this race about 215. So How tall you know, are you? 6'2. 6'2, 239, you started out at. Yeah, in January. Okay. Um, and I just, I'm a guy that lifts a lot of weights. That's what I've always done. Um, I don't run. And so I started January. I said, Kirk, give me till February. Let me just bust out some cardio and lose a few pounds and get ready to learn to run. And so I started training with Kirk February 1st, you know, knowing that's, that's enough time to prepare to, to attack this thing. I didn't want to go just limp through it. I wanted to go out there and obviously not win, but like, you know, be, go have fun and actually work. Um, so that's what we prepared for. Yep. We sure did. I'm curious about your process because if this is your Ross, Ross's journey to Tennessee was was pretty cool for me. And it was more intensive than a lot of the other athletes I work with because I saw him face to face and I knew him better. And so we had a more like the blueprint we drew up was very, very dialed into every trail we'd run together, we knew where it was going. Every workout was based around exactly every part of his life. So when you guys started out, was this a, we're going to get there or was it a boom, boom, boom? We are filling out every portion of your life to make sure this works. Um, it, it really was that I knew I was going to be training alone. I think the thing you guys had was you were coming back from an injury. And so mm -hmm. you could kind of train with him. Um, I can't train with Kirk other than I could lift with him, but I can't run with him. It just, we did it once where he kind of showed me some trails up at Highland uh, here locally. And I think five minutes in my heart, it was about 180. He was like 119, you know, on the warm up. Okay. So um, that wasn't going to work. And, and, you know, I also started training in winter. So a lot of it for me initially was indoors okay. on a freaking treadmill. So um, the, the plan was I'm an early riser. So I worked out every day. I got up at 430 and that's when I made it work in my life. That's what I prefer. And that's just it's easier for me to run for two hours or whatever the workout was going to call for to do it before the kids get up, before I got to start my day. Um, you have three, correct? And a I wife three. and a job. Yes. So 
it, it, it just, you know, people always say they don't have enough time. There's always time. You just maybe lack a little sleep. You know, I don't go to bed super early, but I have no issues getting up and getting a workout in and driving to Highland or whatever it took. I could make time in the morning. I'm just an early riser. So that made it easy. You know, and I, I didn't skip anything. So, I mean, Kirk gave me workouts weekly and, and I didn't miss a rep. I didn't miss a mile. I did exactly what was prescribed because I knew if I didn't, I could be in trouble because this wasn't, you know, a beast. It was going to take a little, I mean, I'm not built for this type of thing. So I knew I couldn't skimp on the training. Um, and, you know, I hear so much you guys talking about a base. I don't have a base. There is none. You know, my running was two years of high school track. Um, I did podium at state, but I was a sprinter, right? I'm a four by one and a hundred meter guy. Um, I was super fast, but that serves no purpose in this. Um, and so it's trying to build a base while training for this, you know, was super challenging, but, but yeah, that, so that was the plan. It was just, you prescribe the workouts. I do them. I didn't have like a weekly check-in with Kirk cause we talk all the time anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked a lot through it, but you know, we trained together at the same place a couple of times, but I can kind of warm up with him and then it's, you know, I can't keep up. I wish I was more selfless in that regard, but we, we, you know, we, we showed you, it directed you certain places to go. If you guys remember, um, I told a, a bear attack story um, a while ago, and TJ was the guy standing right behind me when this bear was barreling at me, and that's kind of changed your options as to where you're comfortable running, hasn't yeah. it? Since it has. So, for those of you who haven't been charged by a bear. It completely has. I still have like PTSD from, I thought about a bear this back half of Utah when I'm out there with one other guy in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if there's bears up there. I don't think there is, but I thought about it a lot because, and even running in Bloomington, which there's not bears typically, right? I mean, on a Mm. rare occasion, maybe I thought about it all the time in them damn woods. So I'm a little gun shy where I can actually run. I want to be in the open where people are which sounds stupid, but until you've been charged by a bear, you know, it'll change you a little bit. Kirk's over it. I'm not at this point. I'm still a little gun shy. Do you think it would have been different if, because I was the one who was going to get mauled, right? Like the bear had me in its sights. So you had the image of like the bear coming after me and like flashing, like I'm going to die. Whereas like I was so close to it that, it like doesn't seem real. I didn't have a perspective. Anybody else being, it was just me and the bear. You guys were behind me. Do you think it would have been different if it was like, if the roles were reversed? Cause I, I don't know. I felt like I was the least shook out of everybody, but yeah, I no, didn't have that not, perspective. Not at all. I think it would have been the same. It's, it's one of my, I mean, it, like you, I've hunted my whole life uh, being a Southern Wisconsin boy and, I've always had this, you know, you're out in the woods in the dark and you, you hear things and you never know what's out there. So I've always had that little fear in the back of my mind of, God, what if there's a, a bear or a cougar or something, which are rare, but they're out there. Um, and then that happened. And so I don't think if I was in your spot or my spot, it would have made a difference. Um, but maybe. It's scarier as a dad, too, knowing that there's someone, For sure. little ones left at home, like you've got to come home. You yeah. have to make it back. Oh, for sure. And and that, you know, and I told Kirk after, like, immediately after it happened, because knowing Kirk, I thought he was going to 
be like, oh shit, that was scary. Let's let's keep going on with the day. And I was like, dude, we got to get out of here. That walk, you know, because we were probably a mile back there. I don't know, a ways. That walk from that to get back to the car, then I'm thinking, oh my god, this thing's gonna be coming back. Um, you're right. Like that's all you think about. Um, I know you guys touch on it in you know, another episode, but it was freaking scary. No doubt. I, I bring that up to say that um, relating it back to training, that the TJ's training options are pretty limited right now because there's only a select few places because of that incident where you're yeah. like, you can go out and not worry about it. For sure. Highland. Yeah. Highland. Cause there's a hundred people. Um, and I went to Afton once with my wife, you know, this is not the point of where you're going or this episode, but I think it's, I think it's a little important for perspective. Like this is the closest as men will ever get to a female not wanting to run early morning or late at night or off the beaten path. Cause we never, like we don't fear being raped. Yeah. You know, it's just not part of our life, but this is the closest we get. I got it in Colorado. And the first time I came around the, the trail and saw a bear sitting right there, I was like, I probably shouldn't be out in this high of the woods by myself, not carrying anything. And it was that brief glimpse of as soon as you know, there's something out there that could potentially go wrong. It changes a little bit the way that you have to approach a workout. For sure. Yeah. And I think out West, like that's a whole nother animal, right? Like there's brown bears and grizzlies, like things you don't want to run into a black bear typically will just get the hell out of there, but you run into one of those things and it's, it's over. So and to your point, absolutely. My wife can't just take off and go running through the trails here by herself. I won't let her. Mm-hmm. So it's a, yeah, it's a whole nother world. Mm. I'm waffling on, on what I want to do with this conversation because I want to get to the good stuff because your story, like we, I had you over, God, was it last weekend? And you really walked me through like what your body went through during this thing. Like the warning signs that you had were incredible. And, and I don't know if I want this to be like a mental toughness message or a don't be an idiot message. I can't decide which which one of the two, but it's inspiring either way. Like I remember chatting with you the night after your race, and this is before you went to the hospital. Um, uh, I think you finally got back to your hotel room after 12 and a half hours on course. I think you were confused and delusional, but you sounded somewhat okay. But you were talking to me and I don't know if you could hear, but I was like tearing up. I was like inspired. I was sitting in bed with Jess waiting to talk to you. It was almost midnight, which is way past my bedtime. You know I don't sleep that late. <laughs> yeah. And I was almost here, and I'm just here, and, like, you walking me through it. And then I got a text the next morning, and it's you in a hospital freaking bed from your wife saying, well, he finally fell asleep. And I was like, Jesus, he fell asleep for how long, ever? Or just a little bit? <laughs> so, so I was a little nervous. I, I think then I want to do what you did with Russ. I want to find out about his training block leading up to it. Because you know about it, it's just normal for you. I want to hear it, and then I want you to you two to take over and give us the the inspirational. So I want to hear what led up to it first, though. Yeah. So you come from your background, nothing there. You start running and biking a combined twenty six miles a day. Yeah, for all of January. All of January. What was that split like <laughs> as it went? January first, I ran five miles slowly, mm-hmm. and then biked. I would say I ran seven days total of maybe no more than six miles at a clip. Um, that first month for some reason, and then even the first week I trained, I cramped profusely and I couldn't figure out why. Um, and, and so 
a couple of days into that first training, I remember calling Kirk, I think it was my second workout. And I was just doing like 30 seconds on 30 seconds off on the treadmill. And I was cramping like crazy. And he was like, it's probably your magnesium. So I went down the street to a guy I know that they, it's a place that does IV bags. And I got a magnesium bag with a bunch of other stuff. You have an IV bag guy? Well, it's a, it's a store, but yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> awesome. Down the street to my, to, to <laughs> my, my IV bag guy. Hooked me up. But no, I, I went and got a magnesium bag with a bunch of other B vitamins and stuff. And I didn't have an issue since. So, I mean, it, it was that that cleared it right up. I got on a magnesium supplement that clearly was the issue. Kirk knew. Um, but yeah, so the training block up until February, I said, just give me a month. Let me just do freaking cardio. And that's all I did. And touch a weight, which is all I typically did other than, you know, we have a Peloton and a Peloton treadmill and that's my cardio. I throw on something to watch on TV and I do whatever. Um, more hiking than running, but mm -hmm incline walking. Um, so that's all I did. And again, I probably ran six or seven days, no more than six miles. It was a lot of biking for me. And, and that's kind of how I started. And then January took, or February took over. And that's when me, I started Kirk's training block. I'm sorry, not to interrupt. You ran six yeah. or seven days total in the month. Total not in a, the month. Week, right? No, no, no. The rest was biking. So I'm, because I hadn't run at all right before that much. I, I trained, I started when the, to backpedal, I started training for a race, you know, for like Tahoe, um, way back when, and Kirk was, drew my plan up then. And part of that plan, I had heavy deadlifts and, um, I was at lifetime fitness here doing heavy deadlifts, you know, like four plates on a side, repping that out. I'm pretty strong. And on my last rep, my, it felt like lightning shot through my foot. And I dropped the weight and I was like, well, shit, that was bad. And ended up crushing what they call your dorsal root ganglia, but it's a nerve bundle. My disc herniated, the fluid poured out and crushed that nerve. So that was how I started training for my first race. So that ended up in a back surgery, emergency surgery, because I had dropped foot from that injury. You couldn't even really pick up your leg for a while. There. No, were... my foot was like, you know, I dropped foot. It was, it was rough. And, um, Eventually came back from that, and that's when I wanted to try to do this again. So that was my first attempt to try something like this. So, um, yeah, so February started the training plan with Kirk, and it really was, you know, I think Mondays were like a recovery run, and then it was three days running with a Saturday long workout, and then two days of lifting with like a, a light 30-minute cardio where I kept my heart rate at like 130 on my lifting days just to, you know, burn off some calories. And how did that suit you? Was it, were you just always feeling slightly underwater or, or had your month of seven days of running, had that kind of buoyed you enough? No, it, it did. I, I always felt, I always felt just awful at it because I'm, I'm not fast. Now, again, keep in mind, this is February. So a lot of it's indoors on the treadmill or all of it at that point. Um, yeah. But you know, at first it was like, well, this is easy. You know, it was like 30 seconds on 30 seconds off for, you know, half hour. Like I can handle that. That's, but as it started to ramp up where it was like a, a Saturday workout might've been two hours, just a two hour run, which <laughs> seemed unimaginable for me, you know, just from a person who doesn't run, that's a lot. Um, Bracken, Bracken hasn't even done that in like six to nine months. So, 
Yeah. Did it for the first time on Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) So it, it was it was rough, but honestly, what helped is I could go downstairs and throw on something. I typically watched old Spartan races, yeah, um, just to kind of get motivated and get in the groove, and and that helped a ton. You know, I just pop on the treadmill, and it was I knew that early part of the running was just I've got to do this and become a runner, which you know I'm not, but I don't think I still am. But it it I started to enjoy it, mm-hmm. which is crazy, yeah. What was your go-to? What's your favorite race to watch? Because I do the same exact thing. I've watched them all a million times. What's yep. your? What's the best one to watch for you that gets you through a bad one? I mean, I liked watching Tahoe just because mm-hmm. I did it. Um, and I, I loved the experience. So I watched that one a bunch. Um, towards the end here, I watched Utah, I think 22 years ago, maybe 2018 or 2019, mm-hmm. um, just because of, I think it was in Huntsville. I think, you know, that's, it wasn't the same course, obviously, but I was heading there and, but I watched all of them, a bunch, you know, some that you commentated. Um, I, again, I just watched, probably I've seen every one of them. As many workouts as I had, I, I guarantee I have. Yeah. Were you from day one watching those mountain courses? Were you out there with them or were you dreaming already or was it too big to even imagine? No, you know, I think the reason it was because normally an athletic guy, a guy that's, you know, I was a high level athlete and I competed well at the college level. And you think, well, shit, I can do this. I could be out Mm -hmm. there with those guys. But this is a whole nother animal. I don't have you guys always talk about putting deposits in the bank. Like I have none. (laughs) I have zero dollars in that bank when I started this. So I knew that this is a, hey, TJ, you're not going to go out there and be on a podium someday. Like you're just trying to do this and let's see where it goes. Like, you know, I'm trying to become a runner. You know, I listened to, um, the ultra guy you hit on last Friday. Like I'm so far from that, like two opposite ends of the spectrum, but I completely respect what those guys do. And I'm probably trying to be somewhere in between of, I don't want to be a 5k runner, but I, I, the ultra thing was interesting because I, I'm not fast in distance, but I, I kind of enjoyed the mental aspect of getting on a trail and just running. Uh, I'm just not good at it. Was this the first time you ever set out intentionally to not be great at something? Yeah. Was it, was that weird to have realized my goal is not performance-based for the first time in my life? Really hard to do, you know, cause they're always taught, go do it and you know, try to win. And mm-hmm. Kirk asked me when I started, is this, are you, are you signing up to compete or to win? Or are you signing up to finish? And I said, it, I don't want to be negative and say, I can't win, but I can't win um, mm-hmm. at any level. I just want to finish. Cause I, again, it goes back to that deposit in the bank statement. I've heard you guys make like, I have no base. I have no running base at all. So it's simply to finish. And so it is super weird to get your mind around I'm just trying to finish because that seems so easy. Like, well, how hard is that? And, and that question, by the way, like you should give in perspective how how high end football you were. I mean, how many times all state? How many times? I mean, you, yeah. you, all you knew was winning. What was your your background there? What did the, what yeah, was that? Yeah, so I'm I grew up in Bracken. I don't know if you know of Mayville, where Mayville, Wisconsin is. But yeah, that's, that's where, where my grandma's up. from. Oh. Well, there you go. So I grew up in Mayville, and it was always a powerhouse in football. We won a state championship. 
Um, you know, I was all conference in four sports. I played baseball, basketball, football till my junior year. I switched out basketball for track. Um, cause my football coach wanted me to run track to get better. And I wasn't like Ross's times in the 400, which were like world-class high school. I was an 11, 200 guy, like a 23, 200 guy. So fast for our division. And, you know, we were, we took third at state in the four by one. So fast enough from a football perspective, that was my game. Um, you know, all conference and stuff and all state, um, and then had division one scholarships. I decided to, they were to all play defense. I wanted to play running back. So I went to division two and chose between NDSU and Mankato went to Mankato. Cause they said I would come in and play. And, you know, I left there second on their all time rushing list, only played three seasons. I got beat up. You know, I, that's part of this too, is I, I don't have a normal body from the wear and tear perspective. It's different from running, but mm-hmm. I took 800 carries in college over three years. So it was a, a decent amount of pounding where I've been through enough in my body that all of those things came into mix, a couple back surgeries. So doing an ultra was, I knew going to be painful. Um, and when we get to that, shockingly, it, it wasn't. Um, somehow I got through this. And stuff didn't hurt. Um, Interesting. But that's kind of my athletic background. So it was always compete to win. We were always successful, always the top of the top. And so, yeah, that mindset of I'm not going to be very good at this, it's humbling. And it gives me, especially Saturday, a complete new level of respect for you guys. Because I watched one of the female races and she, I forget who, I think it was Tahoe, but she couldn't get up, like even jump to get her hands up on a an obstacle. And she, I think, was in second or third at, at the world championships. I'm like, my God, just jump up and grab the damn thing. And and then Saturday, I was like, I can't even move, you know? <laughs> so, and, and, and I was in a different space because I wasn't, my heart rate wasn't 180 like you guys are, right? When you're gunning it. Um. You know, I was just trying to survive. So a complete new level of respect for how hard a simple obstacle can be when your heart rate's at redlined for two hours straight. So that makes sense. Yeah. My dad played college football. He played at Northern Illinois and he's got, you know, his litany of injuries that he came out. And I'm sure you have your litany of injuries you came out with. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I notice is that football players develop probably similar to wrestlers and rugby players, develop a different relationship with pain and discomfort. Whereas injuries to a normal person are very scary. Yeah. Injuries to a football player is how quickly can you get this taped or in place so I can get back on the field? Cause I know there's five guys who really want my spot. Plus I'd rather be out there anyways. Yeah. So what I've seen from football players over the years is they're sometimes difficult to get a real read on how their training is going. Because suddenly, like, they're in a cast. You're like, why didn't you tell me? You're like, oh, yeah, my foot hurt. But I just, like, I taped my leg all the way up to my shin. And then I was, I just ran through it. So, and your process was, did you have all your old injuries barking and coming back up that you had to work through? Or were you able to kind of smoothly become an endurance athlete? I, like I said, the cramping thing early where I called mm-hmm. Kirk, like, because it wasn't like an injury. It was just like, damn, what the, why am I cramping? You know, and I figured he might have an idea. Outside of that, stuff hurt a lot. I, I just, it, I just knew it, it was what it was. You know, I wasn't going to go
go to Kirk and say, Hey, my ankle hurts. Cause I know he's got plenty of other clients to worry about. And I was like, you don't need to send me a check and email. I talk to you five days a week. Like, you know, I'm, I'm fine, but that's exactly what I'm saying though. Most people would email about that and you just decided to train through it. Yeah. You did call me. I think we had a conversation at like five fifteen in the morning once when you, you were on the treadmill cramping. You, you yeah. let me know. You're like, what the hell do I do? I can't well, even move my legs. Cause I knew he'd be on his way to the gym and yeah. it was super frustrating because it was my second workout. I was cramping even when I had like a, a Metcon workout, like doing burpees, like burpee pull-ups or something. And I was, I was cramping up in my groin and my quads and I could not figure it out. Like it some, that was super abnormal. Everything else, no. And, and, and to your point, like you just, you know, in football, you, I played injured. I didn't miss a game of college or high school football. I missed one game in college, the last game of the year, because I tore my MCL. Um, and I, but I, the game before when I heard it, I played the whole second half on it. Like you, you didn't want to come out because you're right. There's five other guys and you might not ever get back on the field. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, through the training, I just trained and it wasn't, I never said, Oh, I can't do this. Or I can't run this many. Or I can't go to it. I just did it because I'm not, I, that's what I was supposed to do. And I know that he knows way better than me what I need to be doing to get through a race like that. Starting to see why you finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a multitude of reasons for sure. So you, you started in January and then officially on February 1st and the mm-hmm. race was what, July 17th. 17th. So throughout this five 19th. month, 19th, Just throughout this five to six month process, at some point you realize, oh my goodness, I just ran for 40 minutes without thinking about it. Yeah. How far, how long into it? Did that changeover happen where you realized you didn't have to fight for every step on the run? You were just starting to do it. Yeah. I would say it was it was it was one of my Saturday morning workouts. Um, because those were always my longer ones where the Tuesday, Thursday workouts were always like 30 on, 30 off, or some incline interval type thing where it was you had a little you're on and off type of thing. But the the ones that were mentally harder was like just run for 60 minutes, 70 minutes, right. 80 minutes. And I did a, um, I had an, I think it was an 85 minute run. And I remember looking ahead at my plan, which is always my mistake. I'd look at like week three when I'd get the plan for the month. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. Um, but 85 minutes. And so I remember doing one in my basement where it was like 85 to two hour type run. And I did it and I came up, talked to my wife and I was like, I'm actually not like I got through that and it wasn't horrible. I mean, the, the basement is covered in sweat. Like the treadmill probably doesn't work, won't work much longer. Cause I just poured everywhere, but I, and I really enjoyed it. Something I would have thought somebody was crazy to do. I started to fall in love with that process of just throwing on some tunes or watching a show and running. And I really enjoyed it. So I'd say it was probably, a couple months in where I really started to enjoy that process, you know, and repeat that a couple of months, a couple of months. Um, and it was from your feedback. It was, I would say that I think you said you felt terrible or awful or slow for about two months straight. And then one day the skies opened and you sent me that text, like that one's so bad. Yeah. And, and it got, it got better. You know, I, I remember I did, I had a, 
we were back in my hometown, actually watching my nephew play football because they had a, a spring season. And I had to do a run. I was going to find a trail, but then I had to go out in the dark. So I I just I got my new VJ shoes and I had to run on freaking pavement with them, um, which isn't ideal. But I just ran around my hometown. I think you know that was probably the run. And I freaking loved it. It was my, you know, my old community. I was back there for the weekend. You know, I wasn't going to skip my workout. I went out by myself and just ran around my hometown and started to be like, I can really see myself doing this like long-term. Like I'd like to be a, a better runner. That's that part that a lot of people don't get to. They get that first month in where they run seven times and feel like hot death every day. Like they weigh a million pounds and then you do your second month and it's almost worse because you've gotten just enough fitness to qualify for the next level of fatigue and you walk around in a cloud for a month. And then the second, the third month starts and you're still not feeling better and it's not on the horizon yet. It's like, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Wait, at some point that just got good, but it's not like it starts getting better. Just one day you realize it's better. And most people don't get to that point you got to. And that's yeah. really cool that A, you made it there and B, you can take that forward now and realize it. Yeah. And and I think I, I'm a big goal setter. I think having a goal at the end of this, which was the race, otherwise you start running and you're like, I'll go back to treadmill hiking and be done with this. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't quit. So I wasn't going to quit on Kirk or quit on myself. And so I had to do it. And through that process, I kind of fell in love with being out there running um you know and now right now i can't um for a couple of weeks and we'll explain why later but i really miss it and i can't wait to get back out there and go to the hills and i'm i left that race thinking i'll never ever touch a spartan race again and a day later we booked where we're gonna go next so <laughs> so it's in you now oh 100 percent. i get it you know i i'll explain the race story later but mm-hmm. that that whole process was life-changing for sure. You know, we just, we just did a consistency episode and you mentioned this already, but I just want to hone in on it. Consistency was our training Tuesday this week. And and I don't know if you caught that those listening, but TJ in six months, you didn't miss one workout in six months. I didn't miss one, not one, not one workout. And I didn't call you and say, can I switch it up or this hurts? I want to, let me do some drags, you know, do something. I just did the workout for sure. I don't know if, I mean, I haven't, I had to modify being sick or something was bothering me. I'd be hard pressed to know anybody listening that didn't miss a single prescribed workout in half a year. It's very impressive. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It, it wasn't acceptable to me. And, and my wife who will listen to this um, is training now with Kirk to do a race in December you know, and she had to miss a workout here or there. And I was like, I sat her down. And I'm like, it's just not acceptable. Like you, you <laughs> how did that go? <laughs> this is your plan. Well, I, it was, I gave her a little, uh, we had a little firm talk one day about like, it isn't a suggestion. Like this is what you're supposed to do. And, and if that means you got to get up at three 30, you just have to do that. And so we have a very different mindset. She didn't come from an athletic background. I did. And it was, it's part of that where there's just, you can't make an excuse. It's just, that's the workout. So when Kirk prescribed a four hour hill workout at Highland, 
I was like, you got to be kidding me. I just went and did it. And, yeah. you know, I didn't say, well, can I do this? It was like, if I don't do this, the race is not going to go well. So I just did what I needed to do because he knows what he's doing. I don't. We had talked about that, that when the decision is available to you, it's you're halfway failed already. It's when it's not a decision when it's autopilot. And it sounds like you early in your life set your decisions to autopilot so that when you added something new and miserable in, at least you didn't have the decision point. Exactly. Yeah. You just do it. And you know, you guys were college athletes. Like it's not like you could show up to the workout and be like, nah, I'm not (laughs) going to do that. Like you just had to do it. So getting up at 6am for a college football workout, you don't have a choice. What I, uh, I like about what you said is, you know, you have somebody hires a coach and they follow a plan and with the idea that, you know, my intention, Bracken's intent, intention is to help you, not like, like torture you, right? Right. And you just said something very specific, like it's not a suggestion. I'm not suggesting that you do oh. this. I'm telling you that you do that. And that's very good verbiage because I got a number, I'm sure Bracken, you do too, a number of athletes who sometimes my training plan feels like a mere suggestion and it drives me nuts and you know who you are listening to this but this is very powerful like it's not a suggestion it feels like we're at the table of a of a negotiation like i slid them the paper and that was my op- my opening offer and they're like all right i see that now let's see what kind of wiggle room do what what can i counter it's like no this isn't that <laughs> we'll work around your schedule but these everything here is not the work's non-negotiable yeah. We can arrange the order if we need to, but the work's not, this isn't a, my opening offer. This is the way. Yeah. And that's buy-ins like yours is rare. Yeah. And it, I think it, it probably my background, right. And so when I see, I've got to do sandbag carries, I don't go to Kirk and go, so the sandbag thing, like what's the sand, where do I get it? I just bought a freaking sandbag online and took it to the hill and, um, I didn't want a way out because I knew it would only come back to bite me. And maybe part of it was because I was doing an ultra and I knew that any cheating on a workout would show there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, I did everything prescribed just because I knew I had to, and it would benefit me. That's the key difference right there. That little different way of thinking out it before like this isn't a suggestion. This is what must be done. And that I know that this is just the process to get there versus like when the training plan is an enemy versus a blueprint. Yeah. Like if you're building a house and you look at the blueprint and you're like, I wonder if I could get away. Would anyone know if I didn't double up this joist? Yeah. (laughs) You don't think that way building a house. If you want to cut corners, you cut corners on quality of material or like add-ons or like maybe we get, we don't go granite, but you don't skip the countertop because you're going to set your dish down and there's not going to be a countertop. But when people look at a plan, like that's the problem here is how can I get a, you have to look at it like a blueprint yeah. because they, they forget that final twist, which is anything I build here is all I can bring on course with me. Yeah. That's it. That's all I can bring with me is what was on this plan. Yeah. No, for sure. Cheating the plan doesn't ever work long-term. No. And then why are you paying for it? Right? Like I'm paying for Kirk's expertise, not mine. So if I'm going to sit there and try to finagle my way through like, well, how about I do this and I'll do this? Well, then I might as well build my own plans and I'll fail. Um, Cause I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. 
so yeah, I mean, that was just a non-negotiable is just go do what I'm supposed to do. And I knew it would help. How involved did you make the rest of your family members in your process? Were you in a, a vacuum? Like I get up, I get it done before anyone else is awake. Sounds like you at least talked with your wife about it. Or was this a, this is part of what we're doing and everyone's accountable with me? Uh, you know, the kids knew I was doing it. My son, who's a football player and like me, hates running. He was just like, you're nuts. You know, he'd come down there and see me on the treadmill or whatever. Um, my wife is a rock star, like super supportive. So, yeah, some of the runs Saturday would dip into family time because they were long runs. And, you know, I wouldn't get to the ski hill till 630 and I'd be up there till 11 or whatever. Um, but it was – they were all supportive, my wife especially. From a workout perspective, it was all on time when they were all sleeping. I mean, really, probably 95% of it. My workouts were done first thing in the morning before anybody was even out of bed. Um, and then on a couple of the days where Kirk told me, hey, you're going to be a turd after this workout, your first three-hour hill workout, you're not going to probably want to do much the rest of the day. And my wife let me sit in a hot tub and or the hot bath and Epsom salt and lay around the rest of the day. So she was 100% bought in because she knew it was like a huge goal for me to be I – I told her, like, I really would like to become a runner because, I mean, Bracken, you played basketball, and there's certain sports you can go have pickup games with your buddies. And football, when it's over, it's just over. You know, I'm not going to go strap on the pads with some buddies I played with and kill each other. It just doesn't work like that. <laughs> right. So finding a sport that I could do, you know, yeah, call it competitively, but something I could work to get better at is kind of what started to drive me. Like I'm once I started to enjoy it and it wasn't like miserable, it really drove me to work hard to become better. And now I'm even more hungry to become not so horrible at it. I, uh, I want to interject just really quick. Cause I know you're going to keep your train of questioning Bracken. What, what do you have to say to the people? Uh, I know you're pretty well, TJ. And you said you got like 90% of your work done before anybody in the house was up. Uh, what do you tell to those people? Like, uh, I believe you don't go to bed till like sometimes 11 or midnight and your alarm goes off at four or four 30. I, I don't know a night you get six hours of sleep. What do you tell to those people? I mean, when you want something bad enough, you make your sacrifices, but like, how did you navigate that? No sleep, still get up. Don't want to like, what do you have to say to those people who don't get up? Yeah, I won't advocate for no sleep because I do know that, I mean, there's plenty of studies that sleep matters, but it, I always looked at it because I've, I've just worked out to work out my whole life after football. It wasn't, I wasn't training for anything like you guys do, but I always felt like I set my day up so well if I could get up in the morning, get a really good workout in, shower, have my coffee and be ready to start the day before the kids are even out of bed. Like, you feel so much better, at least I do. And so it just was a non-negotiable where I can pop up to my alarm because I know how how much easier my day goes when that workout's off the table and done. And so I think if people can get through a week or two, it's always a struggle. If you're not a morning workout person, and maybe you'll never be, right? Fine. But if you can get through like a week, a week and a half of consistently getting up at 435, whatever that time is for you that fits in your schedule, you're probably hooked for life. Because, you know, I don't go to an office, I work out of my house and travel, but I don't want to 
be five o'clock and then my kids are home from school and then dad's going to go work out for two. I want it done because that's family time and that's non-negotiable. So I, I think if people can hit a rhythm, get into that kind of rhythm of getting up early, I think it's a game changer. Maybe some people aren't morning workout people, but I think anybody could be if they could get into it. I, again, I think it just sets your day up so well. So I, that's just what I prefer to do. And that's why. And so the sleep thing was just, I get whatever I get. So if I'm up later, well, then the morning's going to come a little early, but it's fine. Okay. I like that speech. I think what drove me was knowing how good I would feel when it was over. It sounds stupid, but being showered after a workout, having my coffee in the morning, knowing I've got nothing left but a little bit of work and the rest of my day's open, that's amazing. I don't want to think about a workout all day. It, it's it's needed. This is necessary for people to hear. We we talked about in that consistency episode just two days ago that your your schedule's not unique. It may be difficult, but there's there are plenty of people with kids and a job, yeah. and we always fall into the pattern is well I have my day and I have my night, and I only have so many hours in my day. And it's no, you only have so many hours in the entire day and night combined. And sometimes you have to borrow a little bit from the night. Yeah, and that's it's not ideal for a lot of people, but it's ideal for your family. Yeah. And goals cannot make your family worse. That's the big piece here is we want to choose big, outstanding things because we're used to competition and status quo doesn't excite us. But big outlandish goals, especially in the running world, lead to big time chunks. And yep. so the only way it doesn't make your family worse is if most of it happens when they're asleep or at school or at work. Yeah. Most of us can't work out when they're at school or at work. And so you have to do a lot of it when they're asleep. And that's yeah. the reality. Yeah. And I've, I I just felt better about it. Like it, they didn't even know I worked out or I missed any part of the day. They were all sleeping. I'm done before they're even out of bed. And it also made me, you know, being able to pursue these type of goals in the future mm-hmm. that I get more support from my wife. And, and she's supporting me regardless, but she's all for it because it doesn't affect our family life. Um, it probably makes it better. So I'm about ready to move to the race, but I do want to know throughout this process, I want to know two things. One, what was consistently your most dreaded or least enjoyable workouts that you did throughout it? Yeah. I know the one, one weekend for sure. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it was the, the long workouts. So the, the three and f- I think I had two, three hours and one, four hour. Um, it was those, mm-hmm. um, just because it's, it, I don't want to say running at Highland is easier than Utah. That's our local ski hill, by the way. You've referred yeah. to it. It's our local ski hill with 140 feet of gain and you are a hamster on a ski hill wheel. Yeah. But continue. Yeah. Yeah. So I would rather go to Utah and do like a couple long climbs than up and down over and over because the downhill is wearing and you have so much downhill when you do that. And, you know, I, I reluctantly listened to the episode of how you guys talked about you just got to bomb the downhills, right? Which you guys said it takes this and this and this. And ultimately, what I learned is it just takes huge balls. And I'm not, I'm not racing for money. Right. I'm, and so I listened to that episode. I went with my wife to Afton 
and I was going to bomb a downhill. She was behind me and it was a rocky one. And I was running like five something pace downhill as fast as I could go. And I ate it hard um, on rocks and I was bleeding all over and, and she was behind me and I got up and I was like, Oh my God. And we just kept going. But uh, that would probably put an end to that. So I think those workouts of all the downhills, because I can't bomb them. So they were super taxing on my quads and my knees mm-hmm. where, um, it, and again, the, you're just running 140 feet of vert over and over and over. Cause the goal wasn't miles or time. It was 4,000 feet of elevation gain in a four hour run. And there's only one way to get it. Just doing this over and over a, a loop on the hill. And I didn't enjoy those. They weren't fun. Okay. What were your favorite workouts? The combination, and some of them were inclined, some of them weren't, but like a, a 45 second on, 45 second off, you know, run on the treadmill or uh, five minutes at 15% incline, five minutes at 1%. Like those types of things where there's constant change. Because um, I wasn't like, you know, in that zone of just two hours, it was like something was always happening. Okay, I've got four, only four minutes left and I'm back on the incline. Those I enjoyed a lot. Certainly the lifting stuff I love. But those types of running workouts for me were, I really prefer those. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't, they never seemed as bad. So then this is the last workout question. Then I got to hear the race story. Cause we've been prepping this for 54 minutes now. <laughs> Once you got on race course, what did you instantly say? Like, ah, that's why we did this. Or I'm so glad, or I wish I had more. Like, what was the one workout because it's obviously the culmination of everything, right? You can't remove pieces and succeed, but what carried over the most to race day? You know, throughout this, my ass and thighs grew a lot because I was climbing a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, like my waist got smaller, but my thighs were huge and my my butt was huge. And, and so I think the climbing, because there was a climb where the point where we got passed by Atkins and, and those guys. Um, and there was probably a guy in, I don't know, 15th place or something. And the guy I was running with, we were kind of climbing with them. Like I could climb pretty well at a pretty good clip, knowing I wasn't supposed to that early in the race hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kirk and I had a plan, but I felt like I climbed well. Couldn't always run them, and neither were those guys at that point. But I felt like that part translated really well. Like I was super well prepared for that part, which I thought was the hardest part that now granted those claims are way different and brutal, mm-hmm. but yeah. I felt like it's not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that part I was super prepared for. Do you think the, um, we had a culminating weekend. What was it? I give it to you four five, six weeks out where I gave you the back to back long runs. Yeah. Where I think, I think you did what 10 miles on flat with quality on, in the morning. And then you followed that with a three or four hour run. So you were, that was your big weekend. Yeah. That, that showed me that I think anything that my body was could handle it. Um, yeah, I think you called it a Kenyan run. It was like an out and back where five miles out and five miles back and the five miles back was supposed to be harder than the five miles out. And so I ran 10 miles on the way back. I was like low eight pace. Like I'm not fast, but for me, that was like, shit, I just, my mile eight, nine and 10 were eight minutes. 
Um, and I remember texting Kirk that morning, like I was super proud. And then the next day I came back with a four hour, 4,000 foot <laughs> vert mm-hmm. workout and it sucked, but I got through it and I was like, okay, you know, that was kind of the test of, can your body hold up to this? Um, and I remember, you know, Bracken, you talking with Ross, like you had to see one time him over four hours, like what was, how was he going to respond to see how his body would feel. And I think he got really quiet during the run and struggled, but you need that little test to see like, are you going to be able to hold up to what's coming? I think that workout gave me some confidence that I'm okay. I can, I can do this. Yeah. Yancey had the great line of you got to get to the point where you don't want to get back up on the bar. Yeah. You're staring up at like, I don't even want to be up there anymore. And I think that's important for ultras is you have to get to, you can't do an ultra in training. Most people can't, but you have to get long enough in there that you realize I don't want to be out here anymore. And I've got an hour to go. You have to get to that point. Otherwise you can't help, but get caught up in dreaming of how glorious race day is going to be. You have to know like race day is going to suck. Yep. And, and, that was exactly what happened. I hit the three hour mark, which I had done before. And then it was like, holy shit, I've got another hour and I've got at least a thousand feet I got to get. And I'm over this hill. Um, and that mentally is just something you got to get over. And for sure, that was tough. People think that those, like those, everybody who has access to these mountains and these glorious mountain trails and get vert are super badass and adventurous and hardcore. And I would argue the opposite. You get someone who's dedicated to their fitness and you're stuck here going up a 140 fucking foot hill for four hours straight. That's a badass mf if you ask me. That is harder than going to the mountains and running those trails. And I've done both. It's exactly what I was going to say is that as much as the Midwest sucks for prepping for altitude, if you can go up and down a ski hill that takes you less than five minutes to get to the top for four hours – you can go climb a double black diamond because your views keep changing and you don't have to head back down every minute or two. Yeah. There is some mental component to doing repetition to the point of just nauseous borgia, of a nauseous boredom that is is an actual skill you can use on race day. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think it mentally prepares you for, because it sucks. I mean, doing the same thing over and over and over for 140 feet, but it does prepare you. And I do think it's harder. I would way rather go run in the mountains than that all day. All right. Enough foreplay. Everyone loves a good race story. Give it to us. <laughs> start, start on race morning. You wake up and go. Yeah. I mean, you know, I will say I'll preface this whole thing by like, I didn't want to miss a step. So you guys had Dr. Anna on months ago. And so I hired her as well, just because I didn't want to go up there and like cramp out of the race or screw anything up. So I, I took it upon myself to reach out to her and just get some advice from that perspective as well to prepare me, certainly during the process, but more so for that week of training. TJ is referring sorry, to uh, Anna Roby, who we had on. She's like a nutritionist. Um, and I've heard very good things about the people that have worked with her, by the way. So if you're interested, go back and listen to that episode. But you hired her. And how was your experience with her before you continue? I th- it, was, it was excellent. I mean, a lot of good information and just you know, not being an endurance athlete. And certainly I could reach out to Kirk, but I don't want to bug him for nutrition advice. But some of the things she had me do, I think saved me, honestly, like salt loading is something I wouldn't have done. Um, 
having salt. I mean, some of the supplements she recommended, I think, saved me. Um, so anyway, race morning, I kind of went off of her prescribed type of morning. So I got up three hours before the race. I got up at three o'clock in the hotel. I had rice, a little bit of protein, um, and that was my breakfast. I also had a a salt, you know, like an electrolyte mix, but it was it's called Scratch, um, seventeen hundred milligrams of of sodium, so a ton of salt early in the morning as my first drink, thirty ounces of water with that. Um, you know, I had my breakfast and. I was so nervous the whole week up to the race because I knew it was going to be freaking hot and I was just nervous because I didn't know what to expect. You know, I'd run for four hours before I have never done anything like this. So there was that unknown. I want to, I want to make sure that people who are listening, who don't know about the Utah race, get a sense of why you're nervous. Can you explain the entire, like what actually you're doing, what the mountains like, the elevation distance, all that. So it was, it was, it was 31 miles ish, you know, it's always a ballpark. It seems a Spartan. So it's mm-hmm. around 31 miles, but what didn't help is they came out with elevation maybe a day or two before. And then it was Kirk text me like, uh, this is going to be 10,000 feet of vert, which was the most ever in an ultra. So, <laughs> and it's going to be 97. So you like combine all that stuff. And now I'm thinking about all these other things that could go wrong primarily nutrition and heat, like water, how am I going to hold up? You know? And so I went out and got a water pack, um, you know, a 50 liter one. Cause I was just going to do one on my back and fill it at stations, uh, like a little 16 ounce, you know, one around my waist. Mm-hmm. So I made that last minute change before I flew out, which I think was huge, but that was the race. So 31 miles around 10,000 feet. It ended up being a little less cause they did shut the course down. Um, because so many people were having to get pulled off. What was the the elevation out there? The altitude? Uh, Ninety four hundred, I think we went to on the top peak. So the ultra, we you know we have the extra ultra loop, which for this one was a climb all the way to the summit, which is beautiful. I had took no joy in looking at it at that point. That you know that's where we split off from the pros. You know when they they kind of turned and we kept going, and that extra loop was tough that first round you know and it was probably at mile eight or nine and we climbed all the way to the summit and and that's the first time i noticed elevation like mm. it hit me i was dizzy you know you were up there i've never been that high i don't believe and so it was just different yeah um but 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 that was the race so 31 miles ten thousand feet of vert ish um and 97 you know. degrees is the high yeah that's the forecast that's- that's not ideal. Definitely not. Because think about 97 degrees. Most people would be like, ah, I probably won't take my morning walk because it's already going to be 92 degrees at 6 a.m. Uh, kids shouldn't play outside for longer than a half hour today because it's just so hot. Yeah. And you're going to do 10,000 feet of vert at altitude with no tree cover. None. Very little. A couple of the, couple of the trails had it. You've got your rice in you. You've got your scratch lab. You've got your extra yep. hydration pack. I'm field. I took a poop, um, which sounds super One? dumb. I, 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 I had issues the whole week. I was so nervous. But that morning, it, it like, again, it's it's an important part of racing. So I'll talk about it. Like, 
it happened perfectly and I felt good. Like that was something I was worried about. Like I get into this thing for five minutes and all of a sudden it's like, oh, but it, 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 that all worked perfectly. So no fiber, you know, again, something I wouldn't have done. You know, she told me to cut out fiber earlier that week and I did. And, um, it all worked perfectly. Like I was physically felt ready. Um, you know, you have your race day nerves, a different type of nerve, right? You guys are nervous because you're, I remember in track, like that individual race feeling, I hated that. Like you have butterflies, you're on your own. This was more of like, what's going to happen to me? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I told my wife like, okay, well, this first lap set about 17 miles, probably about four or five hours. Like, you know, Kirk and I went into the race. We talked the night before and he said, I want you to go out there like you're taking a walk with the kids the first four hours. I don't want your heart rate above 150 because you're going to know after four hours what you're in for. And and so, you know, the first climb I looked down and I was like, holy shit, I'm at 160. Like I got to, I got to back off. I was going with somebody and I was like, I got to slow this down or this won't last. Um, so that was kind of our plan is to go in the first four hours, keep my heart rate around 150 and don't exceed it regardless of what anybody does because I'm, I'm trying to finish, not win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll say something happened the day before the race when we we're doing our check-in. I met a guy and his wife at the place. He was doing the ultra, like a bigger CrossFit type guy, big muscular guy. He's 51 years old. Um, his name was Mike. And, you know, we chatted that night or whatever and, he had done seven ultras before and he was like, oh, I don't train for him at all. I just do CrossFit. Um, my training is I do ultras and he goes flies around every weekend and does like trifectas. And that's kind of his thing in the summer. He's a teacher and he loves to go do Spartan races. So the day of the race at the start line, I'm next to him and we're just kind of chatting and we take off and I get a little bit ahead of him. And then I was like, well, shit, I might as well run with the guy for a little bit. I ended up running with him the entire race and it, Mm. I think it's what got me through honestly. So, you know, he was like, I told Kirk, he was like a coach slash Tony Robbins because things went downhill for me and I needed that guy in my ear for sure. How long did things go right? They went really right until the sandbag carry. So where was that in there? And that was at probably mile 15 or 16. Like, Oh, you made it a long way. Oh, and I felt fantastic. Like I saved, I conserved. So, you know, we think we finished the first lap in like six hours because we we were going slow thinking we'll run our second lap faster than the first because we're missing the ultra loop and we conserved. I hit that. So I'm feeling good the whole race, feeling really good. We're running our downhills slow enough, but you know we're making decent time. I hit the sandbag carry, but it was like a gauntlet. I, I'm sure you watched the race. For those guys, it was like the last mile and a half. For us, it was probably mile 16 and 17 because of the loop, the ultra loop. I hit that sandbag carry, and then it was, um, I don't know, something else. And then it was a bucket carry, and it was the Atlas carry. All that stuff kind of in a row. And something changed. I bent down to pick up the Atlas ball or whatever it's called. And I cramped hard through my legs. And I was like, oh, shit. And then I had to drop that. So finish that. 
I get to the the bucket carry, and I was it, I finished that, and I was something like like I said, something shifted where I wasn't feeling well. I was spent. My heart rate was way the hell up there, one seventies maybe. I don't remember, but there was a shift at that point where I felt phenomenal to oh, I don't feel good. I'm nauseous. I'm lightheaded. And, you know, then you finish that little half a mile, you got the tire flip and then her coist and that stuff. And I come into the transition area and I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to change shoes, socks. I'm going to get new fuel. We gave ourselves 10 minutes. What did your, what did your buddy Mike tell you about the, uh, about the transition area? Tell that nugget because it's very helpful. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, he's done seven of these and he said, when we get in there, don't listen to a word anybody says. It'll be nothing but negativity, and they're all going to quit. Don't listen to them. People in the race. In the People in the race coming into the transition area. So I go in there. I sit down. My wife's talking to me. I'm not responding because I'm just miserable at that point. Mile 16 to that point, I, something changed. It's now past noon, right? Uh, it's like 1230. We're 1230. Coming in. Sun's high in the sky. It's 90 oh, something high. Yep. And I, I think part of it was the mental thought of, holy shit, I got to go do that again. And it wasn't, it was the climbs, like thinking about, they were brutal and like, how am I going to do them again? But, mm-hmm. and, and I wasn't feeling well, I was cramping. And so. Was there, sorry to interrupt, was there, was there a lot of negative talk going on in the. So we get in that, that transition area a ton and it wasn't even negative talk. It was F this. I'm out of here. Like they got their buckets, their bags, and they're leaving. And I was just like watching people walk by. They're done. And it wasn't it wasn't like one or it was a whole bunch just, just shooting up the leaderboard. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like um like I might win this thing if everybody just keeps quitting or dying. Um, but people wanted nothing to do with the back half of that race. It was freaking brutally hot. And I don't want to make excuses because I did just listen to Atkins talk on obstacle media or whatever and ripping on people, but he was I'm talking not, to pros. I know, but I, you know, like I didn't want to make excuses, but I wasn't, I was in a bad place mentally at that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mike is like, we shut him off. Don't listen to him. What are the thoughts going through your head specifically? And what were you feeling like specifically physically? I felt completely I, I was nauseous as hell and so i was like i've got to get some better nutrition in me because during the race it was all i had a salt lick um and i had gummies like that's what i took in that was our plan that's what i trained on so again i trained on what i was going to use for the race to make sure i didn't have stomach issues i'll never eat another one of those gummies as long as i live like i just am over them but you know again i felt so good but something shifted and we'll explain later like what that was. But um, I felt horrible, like nauseous, sick. My body was okay, but I started to cramp and that started to worry me of like, I might not be able to finish because my body might just not let me. TJ, that's when I walked off the mountain in Tahoe. I know. I, I listened to you talk about it. That's the exact point where I understood it was doable and I understood I wasn't racing anymore and I walked out. Yeah. And I get that from your perspective because why go blow yourself up? Because you're a racer. I'm not. Like I'm That's, there to you finish. Know what? 
I told myself that it's a flimsy excuse. We had the same opportunity to leave and you went out for more and I didn't want any part of it. Yeah. Uh, there was a point. So I'll get to, I, I basically, I didn't talk to my wife. Like she was like, Oh, the girl sent you a message. Like I didn't care. I was probably a dick, but <laughs> I was so miserable. And I think a lot of it was just the thought of like, Holy shit. Uh, how am I going to do another lap? It wasn't fun anymore. Was it? No, not at all. And then, um, you know, so I stock up on my food. I'm trying to eat some actual food. So a, a bar, a banana, like some bananas, get some bananas in me and a little bit of protein. Dr. Roby wanted me to get a little bit of protein after five hours, not a ton, just some. I, I tried. I mean, I couldn't even chew. I just didn't want it at all. Mm -hmm. um, refilled my water, put ice in my pack, you know, just anything to cool me off. And Mike came over. We bandaged up our feet because I was blistering like crazy. And so was he. You know, I had the right shoes. Like all, I tested socks. I tested shoes. I used speed goats. Um, but it, what got me was the constant downhill. And they started to eat up my feet pretty good. So we bandaged up our feet and, and off we went for lap two. How'd you get convinced to go up? Was there any conversation there? It wasn't ever an option. Like I was going out. I maybe didn't want to. But I, <laughs> I wasn't going to quit. I, but I had Mike there with me. Had I been alone, it might have got really bad. Your wife didn't say, like, honey, are you okay? Is it, it's okay to stop? Any of that? Because like, she's no. very supportive and loving, I understand. She wants you to be happy. She would have. The day, the day before the race, I said, if I come in at smile 17 and I say, oh, fuck this, I'm done. I'm sorry. I not mean to cuss. But if I say, <laughs> F this, I'm done with this race. What are you going to say? She's going to say, it's, it's okay. I understand. I said, no, like you tell me, no, we didn't fly out to Utah for you to run a half a race. Like I need your support. Quitting isn't an option. And Kirk told me, like, we talked about that. Kirk and I around, you got to let Kelly know like that you can't quit. So you're going to have those thoughts. You're going to be in miserable spot. So she was just supportive. And and so that's kind of was my send off, like pack, repacked my food, filled my water. Mike met up with me and we started out. And I will tell you that not even a mile into that second lap, I was cramping immediately. Um, but we passed probably 30 people that were coming the other way that really? started out and they were done. And they were all wearing purple pennies. It was all ultra people that just tried that second lap for a little bit. So nope. They, Nope, they shut it down. And that happened for a while. We passed a lot of people that were coming towards us. And he just, this Mike guy kept saying like, they don't have it. We got it. They don't have it. They're quitting. We're not. And so we just kept going. I have an interruption question. I know this gets worse for the finish yeah. line. But even though I did DNF my most recent, I have finished ultras. And there's, there's some <laughs> point where you, there's a sense of momentum in terms of just body of work behind you. Yes. Where you realize, oh, gee, every step I take, I'm actually closer to the finish. Yeah. And you can lie to yourself early, but at some point you actually feel it. Yep. Like, I don't have to do all that again. I am. I'm did you start to feel that first step of lap two knowing I actually am more than halfway or did it take a No, bit? it took to mile 21. Really? Which sounds <laughs> stupid. But it was this mental thing of when I hit mile 21 and then every step past that, I'm now in the single digit miles. 
Mm. Like I'm now in under 10 and I, I said it to my buddy there, like, dude, we're less than 10 miles. We, we got this, but <laughs> that second lap, I had ups and downs of like feeling amazing, get done with the first climb. And then we're on kind of some flat and I'm like, shit, we're cruising. Like I got it. I mean, we're, we definitely aren't cruising at that point. My body is jacked. What do you mean your body is jacked? Yeah, explain. Like, I feel bad. It's hard to explain. Like, I knew something was not going well, and I'm cramping the entire way. So if I straighten my my legs from waist to ankle, if I straighten my legs too much, they cramp. If I bend them too much, they cramp. And so I had to walk, like, with my legs bent at a certain degree that they wouldn't cramp. And it got tricky on the climbs where I was in trouble. And I, I, you know, I mentally it got hard on one of the the last climbs were one of the really steep ones. You know, they were bringing a guy down on a tarp. He's passed out cold and they're dragging him by us on a tarp, like dragging this dude down the mountain because he can't get help to him. And, you know, he goes right by me and I'm looking down at this guy thinking, holy shit, I cannot cramp and get stuck up here there's no way up or down. Like you're just screwed. And I, you know, so that mentally was tough, but my body was cramping and I kind of became a zombie where mentally I was off and I didn't feel good. Hard to explain how I felt. I felt nauseous and sick every, and, and it came to the point that I was cramping. I felt so sick. I was throwing stuff in my mouth, like gummies, salt, anything I could get in. And then you combine it with all the waters piss warm, right? And you just want a cool glass of water to cool off at a rest station or whatever. It's all like boiling water at that point because it's 100 degrees and everything's hot. And so you, you couldn't ever get to the point where you were cool. And like you said, it's not like you're running in shade. So it, there became a point where the cramping scared me because I thought I'm going to DNF because I'm freaking cramped and like locked up here. And I just sucked on my water and as piss warm as it was thinking, well, that'll help. And I'll just take more salt. I just threw in my body, whatever I could come up with at that point. Cause I was so scared of, you know, falling a few miles short and not it, at that point it became, I lost my pride on how my time was. Now it was like 15 hours was a time limit. Like just finish the damn thing. That, that was my only focus. But your upper body was even having problems. Yeah, and I thought it was like I injured it on a obstacle. And I come to realize after it was just part of what I was dealing with. But my my forearms and hands were were like this; they were cramped completely, hmm. um, like He's compartments. Making like a, it's making like a yeah. So I feel like He's everybody can see me. Claw. Like my hands were from the forearm up were just seized up, and I was trying to shake those out. And I thought it was from like you know one of the hanging things. Uh, obstacles, but it, they, they were cramped. So it was, it just made everything hard. Like I couldn't screw on water. I couldn't, I couldn't open a packet of gummies because my hand was so cramped. Um, I was a, a complete mess, but and Mike was with you the whole way, the entire way. And I was like, dude, you can go, man. And he's like, no, we're doing this together. Burpees uh, and all everything. How many burpees do you do? Um, Towards the second lap, I had to skip most of them. I would say most of the ones we missed were penalty loops. There were six penalty loops, which I felt like was a lot. 
but I was actually glad there was penalty loops. When you say you had to skip, you had to skip the obstacles. I had to skip the burpees. Oh, okay. and the last couple because I I couldn't I couldn't get down and get up. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds ridiculous, like it's a burpee. I was oh, no. seized up, and and that part was frustrating because Kirk and I talked about that. Like you're doing every burpee, every you know, if you miss something. Luckily, there was six penalty loops each lap, which helped um, because, you know, things like Twister, I was like, I got this, and I didn't. And in the second lap, there was no chance in hell. But that made it a little easier. Um, I just was seizing up so bad that it was now about, like, get your feet to the finish, and you're going to hit that water at the end, and it's going to feel amazing. Like, that was my goal of – not failing because I know my wife's waiting for me at the bottom mm-hmm. and I don't want to be the guy that just, you know, comes down on a cart. So. Continue. Yeah. So, you know, I want to say it was five miles off. My wife took the, the tram up and they met us to, you know, say hi or see us. Um, and she had a cold bottle of water and a scratch labs thing. And mix that up, and I carry that for probably the next mile. Ice cold water, which I think was a savior, just something cool to put on my body, and I dump some of it on myself. But again, I I don't know for sure because again, mentally I was not there. But the race changed, and they cut off part of the course, um, the last climb on the second loop because so many people had to get pulled off, and so I think we finished at like thirty point five miles. You know, that included some penalty loops. Um, but it seemed like there was way more hard downhill than gradual downhill, the way they routed us the second lap mm-hmm. through. And that was just tough. My toes were shredded. I'm going to lose a few toenails. But my feet were really banged up. And my body at that point was just in really, really, really rough shape. I kept telling Mike, like, I am, something's not right, you know. Um but, you know, I just kept moving my feet forward. And honestly, the there became kind of a group of us that were trying to finish the ultra. And along the way, we passed a bunch of people doing the beast that it went off at like noon. And they're laying all over the course, probably more than a dozen people that were waiting for some type of um, emergency, not emergency, but like, you know, help because they were hurt an ankle or they were dehydrated, whatever. And it was like, I don't know how they're going to get help, but we just kept trucking along. Um, we were all miserable. Mike was miserable, but he was in much better shape than I was. And slowly, how are you but feeling, how are you feeling emotionally? Because, uh, yeah, not good. It, weird. Again, I've never, I was crying and not, mm-hmm. not from pain. I was just crying. I didn't even know why I was freaking miserable. How often, how many times do you cry out there? Four or five. Yeah. Just not sobbing, just like those sad, I feel sorry for myself tears. Yeah. That and like, this is so miserable. I should quit because this is probably not smart at this point. You know, there, when I can't even open a pack of gummies anymore and I'm cramping literally every step, I'm thinking, I got to shut this down. This is stupid. But then I'm like, there's no way I'm quitting. You know, and part of it is uh, like, I'm not going to call Kirk and be like, yeah, bowed out with five miles left. Like I wasn't going to do that. Let him down. So we just kept trucking and Mike, every step was like, we're going to finish this damn race, man. 
and it's going to feel so good. And that's just, that was the mantra. We just kept trucking along slowly, but we were moving. We weren't going to set any world records, but we were going to finish. That became the goal. And, um, you know, we just, we just didn't stop. It was miserable towards the end. Um, I was in a really bad spot. Um, the Herc hoist, somehow I did it like the last one. So we all have our strengths. Like I'm a strong guy. You know, I watched uh, Hawk call struggle with that thing. Like mm-hmm. on my second lap when I'm all jacked up, I could at least do that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cramped trying to get up from that. I had to roll over and he had to pick me up um, cramped in the water. Like it was just all pure misery. I wanted to finish laps, the obstacle, because my wife was there and I ran up that thing all cramped and crossed the finish line and just was so glad to be done with it. I didn't see much of a celebration happening when you crossed. There the was finish none. Line. I gave Mike a hug for helping get me through it because I don't know if I would have without him. You know, I felt mentally strong, but having someone there, otherwise, a lot of that, I would have been all alone. There was just nobody else out there. It was him and I. Because everybody was either behind you or in front of you, and there wasn't a lot of gaining or losing. You know, you just kind of stayed in your spot, and it was just him and I. And it would have been me by myself, you know, for miles in misery. And you know, those damn hills were so brutal. But we just kept. He'd be like, "There's a, you know, there's, there's markers." He's like, "The next three flags. Let's get to the third one." And we would just make goals along the way. You know, we'd get there. I'd cramp. And we would just keep pushing. And that's how we finished that second lap when my body just had, had failed me. Um, you know, I don't think I did anything wrong nutritionally or, you know, from a water standpoint, my body just, it, it didn't respond. Um, but I was able to finish, which was most important. Finishing an ultra is a momentary relief if you've gone to the well, followed by... Life gets worse over the next couple hours before it comes back together. And I assume you had some semblance of an idea about that going in, where a lot of times you can't sleep well that night. You can't get much food down. You just feel sick and bad afterwards. Yeah. At what point did you realize that you weren't following the normal trajectory? About an hour after the race. So what was that first hour like? We took some pictures, got our medals, you know, that whole thing. You know what's funny about those photos, TJ, is when you look at them, when you look at your eyes, there's nobody home. Nope, that's what my wife said. Really? You look like a skeleton of a human. Yeah. Like, there's nothing going on in there. You are you are backwards. Yeah, and I, I really was. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize how bad of a spot I was till later. But my wife and – so I didn't say this, but during the race, my wife and Mike's wife hung out the whole day. Like they chummed up and it, so it really worked out well. Um, and they made plans to go to dinner that night and celebrate and all this stuff that we were going to do. And we get done. I'm like, gosh, I just don't know if I can do dinner. I, they sat me in a chair cause I just didn't feel right. My feet were cramping profusely, like just cramp. My whole lower half was just cramping up. And then I started to shiver really bad. Um, which had happened one other time on a training run afterwards where I felt like, okay, well, it's, it's heat. You know, I'm, so I'm pounding fluids, just dumping stuff on me, trying to stay cool. But I am cramping profusely and, and they bring over, and then I, you know, I, I wear a, a, a heart rate monitor 
that Kirk had suggested. So I'm, I looked down at my heart rate and it's at like 120 and it's an hour after the race. And I was like, well, that maybe it's off, you know, but I don't like that. Um, but I was seizing up and the plan was let's go shower up, see how we're feeling. Maybe we'll meet up for dinner with, with Mike and his wife. Oh, I couldn't leave. I couldn't stop cramping. And we were, our hotel was maybe 30 minutes from the venue. I couldn't get in a car. And so they brought over the, the EMS people or EMTs and um, just to check my heart rate, check my oxygen levels and things were pretty good. Um, I just drank more water and tried to cool down, still cramping profusely, shaking like crazy, like just shivering. The safe assumption would be like dehydration or heat stroke or heat. Yeah. So all we're doing is like trying to cool me off and drink a ton of electrolytes and water. That's all I did. So that probably goes on for two hours before I can get in a car, get back to the hotel. We finally get to that point where I sit on the car for 30 minutes have Kelly help get my shoes off, get in the car where my feet aren't cramping. We get to the hotel and, you know, get me up to the room. And the plan is, well, let's, dinner's definitely not happening. I'm not, I feel, I'm, I'm completely nauseous. I talked to Kirk on the way home, felt like I was going to throw up the whole way, like just didn't feel good. Um, and we get to the hotel. My wife helps me get in the shower and just get some of the mud and crap off of me. And the plan is like, she's going to go out and get some food. I still haven't eaten anything. Um, she's going to get dinner. It's probably 11 o'clock at this point. And I, I, what I didn't realize is I had a pee after I took a shower and I hadn't gone since right when the race started, not once, mm. which can happen. You're dehydrated, you know, but I didn't think about it. So I went went to the bathroom and it looked like somebody had dumped out coffee. Not like dehydrated pee, like that's not supposed to be there. That's probably bad. And my wife's out getting a bunch of food and we're going to gorge because I just burned 8,000 calories. And she brings food back and I can't touch it. I'm in the bed shivering like crazy, cramping like crazy. I have to keep standing up because my feet are cramping. And I explained to her, well, you know, hey, I just peed and it was brown. Um, and I just like, oh, I just got to drink. Give me a Gatorade and I'll just lay here and we'll sleep it off and whatever. And she was like, I really think we should go to the hospital. And I was shivering so much. I, I couldn't stop that we decided to go to the hospital. So that was like, let's just play it safe and get to the hospital. Just, you know, make sure you're fine. So long story short, I mean, we go to the hospital and you know, they're going to test my blood and my urine and they get me into a room. I'm shivering, cramping like crazy. They haven't started anything yet because they're waiting to get the results of what's going on. And they, the doctor comes in and he says, Hey, we, we need to admit you right away. You're, they, they test your, um, I think your creatine kinase levels. Um, and they look at your level should be around 5,000. Mine were at 26,000, which means, my kidney, my kidneys are shutting down and my liver function was also really low. And so it's called rhabdomyolysis is what I developed, but in a bad way. Which is terrible. Rhabdo is potentially fatal. Yes. And it wrecks havoc on your system. Yes. It, primarily your kidneys. And they call it acute renal failure. My kidneys were 
plummeting, like doing shitty. And so, um, you know, and, and, and this is probably at that point when I'm actually hooked up to, or not even on an IV yet, but like starting to get the results of the test, um, where I finally fall asleep. It's probably 24 hours since I woke up for the race. Now it's about two or three in the morning and my oxygen levels dropped to the seventies. And so they come running in the room because they start beeping out, alerting them and they wake me up. I started to fall asleep. And when I fell asleep, my oxygen levels dropped substantially. And so then they had to put me on oxygen and they're like, Oh, do you have, do you wear a, a CPAP at home or like this? Like, no, I don't have sleep apnea. Like at all. I'm healthy. Uh, my oxygen levels just dropped so much and they think it had something to do with everything my body went through combined with that elevation messed something up, but I had to be on oxygen when I slept because my levels dropped substantially, um, that night. And so they admitted me. Well, I just want to pause you real quick. This is a very real thing that can happen. Something called rhabdomyolysis or rhabdo as you call it. I don't want to gloss over what that exactly is unless you're getting to it, of course. Yeah. But could you explain what it is now that you're yeah. an expert? So, yeah. So basically what happens is it's this, this substantial amount of muscle breakdown. And when muscle breaks down that fast, it produces something called myoglobin, which typically will get filtered out by the kidneys. But I had so much breakdown from the, the running and the workout plus the cramping, the speeds of that up, um, that it overworked the kidneys and it's now pouring into my bloodstream. So I take a pee, it's brown. That's what's, that's what's there. And my kidneys are in a really bad shape because I had so much of it in my system. And there isn't like a treatment. The treatment is let's flush you full of fluids to get your kidneys cleaned out. And we've got to get those levels. So the goal was we've got to get your levels down to 5,000, right? Cause your, your kidney function is failing and your liver function is now struggling as well, trying to compensate or overcompensate. And so both of those were going poorly and that typically will lead to heart issues. So they had to do an EKG. Um, the heart was actually good. Um, shockingly, my electrolytes were at a good level because I had taken so many in, but that's really what, what rhabdo is. It's not a, it's a super serious thing. Like if I hadn't gone in, I can't fathom what would have happened. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, I mean, the, the plan was like, we got to get you in the hospital. Now they got me a room and, um, you know, the, the, the shitty part was I was in a lot of pain, which I thought was from the race, right? Like all the pounding and the running and all that stuff. It wasn't, it's that muscle breakdown is painful on your muscles. Two days later, I had no pain at all, like nothing from the race. It was all from rhabdo. The, all the pain I experienced in my legs was from that muscle breakdown. And shockingly, my body, other than some toenails and stuff, held up really, really well. But the muscle breakdown, it made me so sore. That thing in my arm, you know, I talked about during the race, that was like almost like compartments. And I'm like, it's, it was from the rhabdo, um, you know, seizing up my muscles and they were breaking down so fast. So it was at a point where it was serious like super serious. And the plan was like, we just got to get your levels down. And so by the second day, they dropped to like 21,000. You know, the, the, the shitty part was it was in a ton of pain, but they couldn't give me anything because it goes to the kidneys to 
get processed and they didn't want to put anything more in my body. So it was like, just, we're going to have to deal with the pain. Um, but that was the plan is just sit there. And it took till Tuesday of constant, uh, fluids, you know, and I was nauseous a lot of the time with headaches. Um, that cleared up later Tuesday and my levels had dropped to, I want to say 10 or 11,000 by the second day. And by the third day, they hit a, an acceptable level where they would allow me to get on a plane and go home. And so, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a hotel. We didn't, we, our flights were Sunday, you know, and, and so we just canceled everything and we stayed at the hospital because then that's where I was sleeping. Um, Kelly went and checked us out of the hotel. And so we stayed there until my levels got to an acceptable number where I could get on a plane and fly home. So how much did this race cost you? Oh, thousands. I mean, that hospital bill, I can't even imagine. Tens of thousands there for sure. You know, we have good insurance, but we'll find out how good uh, here <laughs> when the statement comes. But, you know, even a, the rental car we had to extend, we extended the hotel a night or two just because we weren't, we didn't know what was going to happen. So we needed a place to go if they let us out, but they became pretty clear we weren't going anywhere. So the race cost me a lot, but as dumb as it sounds, I gained way more. Um, I know Kirk is not a huge David Goggins fan because he's a little much for some people, but like you, he always preaches like the, the mind will quit way before the body will. Like your body is capable of so much more. And I should have quit honestly with, I was, I was not in a good spot, but I wasn't going to. And I, that was just, you know, as bad as it was after the fact, um, it was certainly worth it. You know, and that, that night I told Kelly, like, I'll never do this again. She was like, I'm going to have a word with Kirk <laughs> as I'm laying in the hospital. <laughs> like this is his fault. Um, she was joking, but, um, you know, I was a day later, I was texting the guy I ran it with, like, we're doing Florida in December. We're going to do the trifecta. And, you know, I want to do another ultra, probably not in the middle of summer, but, um, I want to get way better at running, you know? So it, it took two days of hell in there to, well, you're still in a cat in a hospital gown. Yeah. In a hospital bed already making plans to race again. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the plan is, you know, they didn't want me working out at all, obviously, cause they don't want this to like come back and as rare as it is, but you know, I'm, less than two weeks out and I've just started walking on the treadmill slowly, like just, you know, got a four or five miles in here the last couple of days, just moving my body a little bit. And I'll start working out a little bit next week, but maybe a little trotting or some biking. But, you know, I plan to pick a, a race and just continue to improve, I guess, make deposits in that bank to become a runner at some point. If this has not gone well, I want people to have a takeaway from this. One, like, you're a tough son of a gun. You're way tougher than I am. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing because it almost ended poorly for you. But if if this went poorly, this rhabdo, like, what was going – like, how concerned were you? How were you feeling? Were you having panics? And what would have – like, what would have – how close were you? The doctor's concerned with, like, you not leaving the hospital soon. Oh, the only time I got concerned, honestly, was when my oxygen dropped that low um, because it was like, what the hell is wrong? Like, why is this happening? You know, when he explained the rhabdo, I, it, while I didn't understand it fully, 
um, you know, I felt like, okay, I get that. But I, you know, the other stuff that started happening freaked me out quite a bit where I felt like, holy shit, I jacked myself up pretty good. Um, but you know, there was never a point where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I just knew I was in bad shape and it was going to take a while to probably come out of there. Okay. And if you had to, in hindsight, now that you know things, differentiate because people cramp on course and people have heat exhaustion or heat stroke, which heat stroke is very serious as well. But like for people who are out there, a lot of people dropped and maybe they were, you know, they stopped when the sign started. But could you differentiate the two like for me potentially? Like what, like in hindsight, what were the rhabdo symptoms that you were experiencing during the race or like the stuff where you should have maybe turned around, called it quits? I think, the hard one to explain is how I was feeling, how nauseous I was, um, or just something felt off combined with the cramping. I think like the combination of those two things was probably the piece where maybe a normal person would have probably shut it down. You know, when you can't bend your legs, I would assume most people would just quit. But I also assume most people are out there like me, other than a few, especially for the ultra, just to finish. So like, that's your only goal. And, you know, there was a point where it was like, Hey, we got four hours. I don't care if we have to crawl. Like we've got time to at least finish in the time. Let's just finish. I think that's a big difference. There's something to be said about you can go into your next race, almost regardless of what it is and say like, what can you possibly do to me? You, you can't take me much worse to much worse of a place than I already was. Like you don't yeah. want to go through this again, but you know the odds are th- something won't be quite like this again ever. No, I, I think just the conditions in and of itself and the type of course it was like just those combinations were brutal. But I think, and, and Bracken, you've probably done multiple ultras where they probably, not that they get easier, but you at least know what to expect. You know, I think that after mile 18, I had never gone that far before. So just now I kind of know what to expect and know like, Ooh, I might feel this. I think for sure. Like it gave me some confidence that I can do this again. Maybe not that course just cause I don't want to, but yeah, I feel like I, I conquered some fears and I, you know, withstood my mind and, and my body allowed me to finish barely, but I did, I didn't quit, which was a huge win. My time wasn't impressive, but I didn't fold up shop and go home. So I'm I'm proud of that. And I just didn't want to come home and tell my kids I quit. Like, there's no way I was not going to finish. So you, you told your, your kids that you hurt your knee. And that's why you're in the, your ankle. That's why you're in the hospital. You don't want them to worry, right? Yeah. Except my son. He's 17. So he gets it. Like, we, I could be honest with him. But my girls, we just were like, oh, daddy hurt his ankle. because. Um, you know, I, it's not like I'm going to be able to explain rhabdo to him. <laughs> you've mentioned Goggins twice now. Yeah. So clearly you've you've spent some time listening to him. And he has this concept that, what, when you're ready to quit, what is his theory? You're 40% of the way to your max. Yeah. Is that, is that the right number? Yep. When was the first time on course you thought, I just can't do this anymore? 400 meters into the second lap. Okay. So mile 17-ish. Yeah. And then you finished, obviously. Yep. But when you crossed the line, you were clearly ready to be done. But 
gun to your head, how much longer could you have gone? I don't know. I've thought about that a million times. Like, Could you have gone a, a quarter mile? I, I think this is going to sound so dumb. I think I could have gone 10. Yeah. Like I, I, I just wasn't going to quit. You just wouldn't be here to tell us about it if you did that. Yeah, maybe. But it, yeah, you feel like, oh my God, I couldn't. When I did a three-hour train run, like I could not have done three hours in one minute. No way. Well, yeah, I could have. Gun to my head. I would have figured it out. Like, yeah. Just like at mile 17, I told Mike, like, man, I don't know if I can do this. Right? Like, And then I went another, you know, 14 miles. So I could have kept going. It would have been miserable. But yeah, I have thought about that. Like, I wonder at what point I just would have shut down. You would have found your physical limit, which would have been death eventually. You would have been unconscious. Yeah, for sure. It, from your point where you thought, I don't know, and then you verbalized it, which means you've been thinking it at 17. Yeah. I don't know if I can do this. And then from that point on, from the point you thought, I don't know if I can do anymore, you completed a half marathon and then another mile. Yeah. Like that's staggering when you think about it in that perspective. A half marathon is about as long as a normal person would ever consider, hey, maybe I could complete this someday. And you completed that when you were at your perceived breaking point. Yes. Which which gives me a again it sounds dumb because it's not like I went out there and set a world record but it like it gave me just in my life that'll be a game changer yeah. on how how I think something might be hard like come on man it's not that freaking hard on fumes I have maybe eight hours left yeah yeah so that it's a great question that I don't know if I want to know the answer to like how much more could my body have withstood. We should never get to actually answer it. No, no. But I think for the people like me who are out there to finish, you just can't quit. It's just a decision. And I get that at some point there's some people who just, you don't have a choice, but I get it from someone like you who's a racer where it's like, oh, I'm not going to blow myself up. I've got a race in three weeks. I need to prepare for that. I get me quitting when my only goal for, I mean, this is all I focused on for six months was to not quit on this race it gives you that perspective of you just can't and so it's your body like i said it's it's the whole goggins thing of it's capable of way more than you know i think you're cheapening what you did by giving me an out i truly believe that and i know you you do it with good intention but tj i have thought for a year and a half about dnfing in in tahoe and i can't tell you how jealous i am of I, you have a switch that I wasn't capable of, of flipping. Yeah. In that point, when I decided all my, my, my stupid rationale, like I laid out a list and it wasn't smart for me to continue and it wasn't worth it because I couldn't hold on for, I'd lost second and I probably wasn't going to hold on for third if I kept puking and cramping. Yeah. Could I have held on for fourth or fifth? I don't know. Probably. I got to the bottom of the mountain and heard they had canceled the swim on the second lap. If I had that piece of information, could I have finished? I mean, I have a year and a half of regret because of an in-the-moment justification I made. So as much as I appreciate your sentiments, like you, you're by giving someone else an out, you're cheapening what you did. You did what I didn't and couldn't and what... 76% of other people on that race course who weren't in the process of developing rhabdo couldn't or wouldn't do either. So don't, right. I, I don't think, I don't think anyone deserves an out. If you are injured, mm -hmm. 
that is okay to stop depending yeah. on the injury. Right. But we all made the same choice you refused to make. Yeah. No, I think it, it you know, I, I combine it all together, like my preparation, hiring the right coach, um, a new, like everything I did to prepare was to meet my goal. And so just giving up on the goal when I'm finally there doing what I trained for six months for, it just wasn't an option. Like it, it didn't matter. Is And Kirk, I know you said four or five times throughout the race, you're going to tell yourself you want to quit. Don't mm-hmm. quit. You're going to get to that point. And I think being prepared to know that was going to come because I really didn't think it before the race. I was like, I'll be fine. Um, but mm-hmm. he told me that probably the day before, I think we talked Friday night, like you're going to get to that point of like, this is miserable. Don't quit. And it just wasn't gonna. Um, and I'm so glad I didn't like it. It's, it, it'll change me forever. And it really kind of boosted me to like, man, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens next and just keep putting deposits in the bank and trying to become a runner. I listened to a freaking running podcast for the last six months <laughs> and I love it. Like I, you know, I, I think people are so interesting. So listening to a guy that's an ultra runner that does shrooms and all this crazy stuff, I'm so intrigued by it because people are so interesting to just hear their story and what drives them. So I'm a former football player and, you know, this is an interesting story that hopefully will inspire somebody like Ross inspired me to like, go do something not easy like that everyone could do go do something that 76% of the people will fail and it it just it's huge no it's interesting about that is is the Ross Weimer really he's to blame for this first of all not me Weimer yeah. Weimer sorry <laughs> rhymes, rhymes with Weiner how could you ever yeah Weimer my bad Ross um but you know you were very inspired by his 6 hour his six hour ultra and couldn't even fathom doing that. So you decided to do something big and, and how long were you out there for TJ? Unfortunately, over 12, 12 hours, 16 minutes and 16 seconds. You went twice as far kind of on accident, on accident, you know, and, and, and to defend myself on the time, there was like a point where it wasn't racing anymore. It was simply surviving where I told Kirk, what it always comes down to in an ultra almost for 99% of the people on the course, it comes down. To yeah. For people like me, for sure. I was probably the only 215 pound guy out there. Um, I'm guessing. And, you know, I told Kirk, like I easily had another two hours. I could have shaved off that time. There was never, I get to a water station and, you know, I wasn't rushing. I was just like, I got to survive this. Now it's like, can I push myself to actually do good at one of these? Um, and that's the goal. I learned a lot about what I suck at, which is a lot. Um, I got a lot of work to do and, um, but I'm excited for that journey too. You have the one thing that's can't necessarily be taught or learned and like fitness can build, efficiency can build, but grit is something that not everyone develops. Even if you put in your 10,000 hours. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. It's, it's a mindset for a lot of people. It's the people that picked up their bucket and left at the halfway point that probably mm-hmm. flew into town to race um, that I was told was going to happen. And I can't imagine coming home having done that. It's just a, it's a decision you make. And yeah, there's the people that are going to fail because your body just shuts down. But a lot of people just quit. And it's the people, probably the people that try to negotiate their workout, 
try to cut a corner mm-hmm. on their workout. Um, you know, and, and I think the saying of how you do anything is how you do everything. Um, I think holds true. So I didn't skip a workout. I didn't quit on a workout. I sure as I wasn't going to quit on a race that I'd trained six months for and, <laughs> and probably spent $25,000 to go do after all is said and done. <laughs> like no way in hell I was going to quit. And it gave me so much in return. Um, just, and it gave me that pickup basketball um, that I can go do as a sport. Now it's running. Like that's my, mm-hmm. I can't play football. I can run um, maybe poorly, but I love it. And I'm excited to get back out on the hills and the trails and do something different. TJ and I already had a full conversation about his moving forward plans. And I can tell you, if I was in the hospital for three days, four nights, or whatever it was, I would, uh, I certainly would be gun shy to make more. And I think I got that text from you. You were on your way or at the airport and you already basically committed to a future racing schedule. You hadn't even left Utah yet five days later. So yeah, that says something. Is, is part of you afraid that this could happen again? Not at all. Really? No. Nope. Why? Why not? I would be. Self-admittedly, I'd be very scared. Well, I, I was okay. If I was doing an ultra, maybe just because, you know, and I, again, I, I think it was a combination of the heat, the, everything, but I, um, it doesn't, it's not like the bear thing where I'm going to think about it all the time, right? Like it, it doesn't worry me in the least. I wasn't supposed to do anything for two weeks. You know, I put 13 miles in this week already of, you know, s- slow walking, but at least I'm moving my body because I'm super excited to attack the next plan twice as hard because I I have some confidence that it's Wednesday. Yeah. You've been getting in five miles a day on do not work out orders. Yes. But again, it's that whole <laughs> mindset. I got up this morning at four 30. I went down on the treadmill. I watched a bunch of obstacle racing shit. I watched a guy run a 50 K. Like I'm just watching stuff that ins- I watch people do really hard things where it's like, well, this isn't so bad. Um, it inspires me and it just sets my day up. So yeah, I'm, I'm not, not my heart rate. I kept it below like 110. Like I, I wasn't working hard, but I just wanted to go move because I'm excited to really get after it when I can in a couple, probably another couple weeks where I'll do something physically, but not kill myself. But I'm, I want to go do the trifecta in Florida in December probably go to West Virginia. I don't know if I'll race, but at least watch you guys. And, um, I'm a, this is now in me. Like I'm excited to do more of this and push myself. Cause I think it spills over into every area of your life. Mm-hmm. The man's afraid. He turns into a six year old girl when someone says the word bear, but he's not afraid of no rap though. He's not afraid. Of, <laughs> he's not afraid of no grind. Oh, I'll take <laughs> the, the rap. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you learn anything about what you could have done to prevent this? Is there, can you identify anything or was this just, it was too hot, too much exertion for too long past your breaking point? I think that's it. I thought about that. Like how I was like, how was I? I was definitely dehydrated, even though I pounded water, I felt like, like I was always drinking, but you know, and I told Kirk the the weird thing was like, when I would work out here for two hours, I looked like I jumped in a swimming pool. I got done there. Like my shorts were dry, you know, until I jumped in the water, but like my shirt wasn't soaking wet. Like, I don't know where the sweat was going, but I think the dehydration and the complete, mo- the cramping, 
apparently cramping can speed up that process. Mm. So I think it was the combination of that. I don't know what I could have done different. I feel like I did. If I hadn't done the things I did, I, there's no chance I finish. So I feel like I did everything right to finish. Okay. Um, but I don't know how to, I, I, that's the answer I was looking for. So it doesn't happen again. I think it was just a combination of a bunch of weird factors, including the heat and all the other stuff. So I think there's a, you said a lot of things that I think a lot of people need to hear. Well, hopefully it, it helps somebody there. There's this, this theory I have about big races and I, I share it with my athletes, but it's that when it's a big, important race, you can write half the field off immediately. Just half, half the people don't have it. They, yeah. uh, between the ears, they don't have the ability to handle a big moment. Half the people write them off. Even if they don't quit, they're just going to be at a depleted capacity. And then at that point, if there's any other factors, like weather, you can write off another half. And then at that point, all you have to do is finish and you're in the top quarter. Yeah. And, and I think you kind of prove that where half the people quit and then you add another, you add the weather and the enormity of it. And all you did was finish and you were in the top 26 percentile. Yeah. Like that's real close to top 25. And you, by your own admission, had hours of not racing. You left two hours on the course. Oh, at so least. Yeah. by simply finishing, you beat three quarters of the people. And I think that's important to remember that we get caught up in racing and competing. And a lot of those people who raced and competed the first lap didn't beat you. Yeah. Because you finished. And you can write off half the people right off the bat as soon as something bad happens. And that's a good reminder for people that when everything, like the old quote, everyone has a plan, the Tyson quote, until you get punched in the face. Yeah. If, if the race hits hard enough, everything goes out the window. Yeah. And I think it goes to the simple thing of your why. Like, why are you out here? And if that isn't strong, quitting is easy. Like, you just fold up shop, go home. Like, what was nope. it? Mine? Yeah. Making my family proud, really. You know, so. There's no worse feeling, speaking from someone who's had to do it, than having to explain your weak choice afterwards. To the oh people my God. who you respect and love. Yeah. Sitting on an airplane, going home, planning out how you're going to have to explain this to people. And if you want to put a spin on it, that's going to make you look less weak. There is no worse feeling than that after a race. Defeat yeah. is not as bad as shame. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought about it so much because people were like, oh, so it's you kind of like, like you did like a, almost like a marathon, but a little more. And I was like, no. It, it wasn't like a marathon. It was like, you know, the mileage is close, but it isn't even freaking a flat marathon. Like trying to explain to somebody what I went through. Yeah. You can't unless they've been through it. Like you guys where it was so, especially that day there's, I couldn't fathom coming home and like telling people like, well, how'd it go? And like, Oh, well it didn't go well. I quit. There's, I, I can't imagine having done that, especially cause it was my only goal. My only, it's not like I had another race the following week where I could make up for it. It was like my year was around that thing, you know? Mm. So it just, other wasn't. than, other than me who gets it, nobody else in your circle like gets it or understands it at all. Right. Has it, you no, think anybody know. really understands like what you trained for, what you did, what you went through? Does anybody in your life really 
get it? Not a chance in hell. Does that bother you at all? Um, no, I mean, I did it. For, I didn't do it for them, you know? So I think the, the, the comment of like, Oh, it's you know like a marathon. Like, Oh, my buddy ran a marathon once. Like, no, it, it, it isn't even freaking close. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, Ross said the same thing after his, where, you know, that six hour we did, he was trying to explain to people like, so how far did you run? Like, well, I ran 24 and a half miles, but it yeah. was, it was 23 laps of 440 feet of vert. Yeah. And they're like, so you didn't run a marathon. It's like, well, no, I didn't run a, a marathon. They said, well, my mom ran a marathon. Did, did you, did you win? He's like, well, no, I didn't win. Like, oh, so you didn't win and you didn't run a marathon. Did you, it like, it doesn't translate. That's exactly. I went back and looked at, I found Ross on Strava or maybe it was you, one of you. And I went back and looked like how much vert was in that race. Cause I remember you guys talking about the freaking constant loop and mm-hmm. it was like 7,700 or something like that where, and it was just short of a marathon mileage wise where people, that's exactly how they think about it. Like, Oh, my, my, 300 pound friend ran a, a marathon and it was awesome. You know, he did it in five hours, whatever. It's like mm-hmm. I, explaining what this was like to somebody. They just have no clue. People won't understand it that aren't in this world because of this, you just don't know. They think they hear 31 miles and it's close to a marathon, but it was a lot different. Yeah. We didn't really even talk obstacles a lot of how much that extra depletes you, but yeah, it's a monster day that you have to feel. And honestly, to under to a pre, a finisher of that race would appreciate what you did, but a quitter of the race would be astounded by what you did. It almost takes someone's failure to put in perspective how much yours was a success. Yeah, for sure. You know, and the amount of respect from people who were doing the beast that we passed on our second lap that were like, they they like show you respect, like holy shit, you guys are doing this twice. Kudos. You know, that, that felt good where people, those people got it because they were doing it once and they were struggling. So, you know, it's too bad is that, is that there's, I gotta imagine there's so many, your story is your story. Don't get me wrong, but like the stories on that mountain or other races that we never hear about, you have nobody in your circle to go home and tell this to that would even get it other than your wife, kind of. Yeah, I just think of like the stories, you know, uh, that we're missing that are probably very inspiring and very important to hear that we don't. I'd be curious to hear some if anybody wants to reach out about it. But there's a lot yeah. of a lot of, a lot of things happen when nobody sees them on mountains like that and courses like that, including things you see yourself in yourself that you would never expect. So I just it just makes me think about the number of stories we don't even know. Man, he's got me wanting to run an ultra. <laughs> you can't listen to this and not want to do something. Yeah. I, <laughs> you were I talking about going up the mountain crying. I was running up Killington or walking up Killington one year, just tears <clears throat> running down my face, and I had no clue why. Exactly. I couldn't pinpoint the exact emotion, but they were just flowing because it was the right thing to do. There was a lot inside me, and it just had to come out, and it wasn't sure why. That happened to me five times on that second lap. I don't know why I had so many highs and lows on that second lap where I felt amazing. Then I felt like shit. It, it's a, it's a hard to explain to, especially me being just an average guy. Like that was, it was emotional and I don't know why, but it was awesome. 
it's extremely emotional in a way that as a guy, you're not used to. Yes. My wife, a lot of times would be like, just be easy on her right now. Talking about one of the, our daughters, like she's just having an emotional day. And I'm like, I just don't understand exactly. I understand it's a thing, but I don't know it. Yeah. But in the middle of an ultra, you're just having an emotional day. At one point I thought about, oh, I wonder what my wife's thinking because I'm not done yet. And also I was like, oh, I wonder if she's thinking. <laughs> like, and I'm just like crying. <laughs> and then 10 minutes later, it's like, I cannot wait to tell them like, oh, I'm going to talk to them. <laughs> like, yeah. Things that shouldn't be, like make you feel something, make you feel everything. And you're yep. really stripped bare. And it's, you have to get to a bad point to really feel those. Yeah. And I've never been there. Not in training. I mean, I never even got close to that point of misery and emotion that, again, it'll just, I think it'll, it's transforming my life on what I go do next. Um, I'm super excited for all that, but I'm glad I went through it. I really am. As dumb as that sounds, I wouldn't change a, a minute of it. It was awesome. I don't believe you posted this. I don't believe anybody that is a friend of yours knows what you did other than what your wife had posted. But there's a video at the end when you're so cramped up that you can't fathom getting up the slip wall. And you gather yourself like you're going to try to run through like a brick wall. But really, oh. you're just trying to even run a little so you can get up that and I'm 95% sure you're standing there looking at this wall crying before the finish line. Your wife is behind the camera crying, watching you in such stripped form. Like that is, that is nobody. I don't think that got put on. I don't know if that got put out there. It's it's on there. I mean, I, I didn't post much, but I mean, she did, but I didn't post it because it's so, if you don't know what's happening, it's embarrassing because I'm, I have, I'm up going up the slip one. I've got to run about three feet to grab a rope. Which, how hard is that? It's the simplest thing. I thought about that slip wall for five miles, thinking it's the last obstacle. I can't, I can't do it. Like I'm gonna have to go around it and do burpees or something. I because I was I jumped in that water right before it and I cramped profusely and I screamed and I sat there in front of that slip wall. Like you said, it looks like I'm getting ready to jump thirty feet and I have to run three. But it was monumental for me to get up there without cramping. Um, so if you don't know the backstory, to me, I was like, oh, my God, that looks like I'm gearing up for something so hard. It was so easy. But people don't understand what my body was feeling. So that was my best obstacle of the day. Like being able to do that at the end when I was in such bad shape kind of put a good ribbon, you know, a good bow on the day for me of finishing in front of my wife in rough shape. I'm, I'm glad I did. You know what bothers me about that a little bit is a stupid Spartan slogan that says you'll know at the finish line. And as we talk about this, it's like, God, you might not know actually until the finish line. It's just yeah. kind of a little ironic. I always thought that was a throwaway phrase, but when I hear somebody walk me through a race like that, I'm like, ah, maybe that, maybe that slogan's spot on. I don't know. Yeah. And it's so it's so different for you guys, right? Like you're, you guys are amazing runners and, and these races, you guys are redlined the whole way. Um, it's a different experience for an average guy like me. Um, but I, I think just as rewarding for sure. You know, it, it's life changing to go through. Like, I'm glad I've got the text from December 20th, like do something hard. That's what you told me. I'm glad we mm -hmm. did. So. That's all I got. That's all we need. 
<laughs> so if you pick an ultra, I'm there. I'll watch it. I won't run it, but I'll be there to cheer you on. Me? Yeah, I think you should. Well, I think I'm going to do the Tennessee Mile this year. Again. Awesome. I love that event. We should have their race director on at some point, Kirk. Okay. But uh, I have unfinished business with Tahoe. Is that an, is there an ultra there this year? It won't be this year. It won't be. I'm okay. going to respect the mountain, and I'm going to give it its due in training. But uh, it Tahoe is a is a stain on my on my record that I have to um, expunge. I don't know if it's next year or what, but that that it probably is next year. Tahoe has to happen. Do it. I don't have any more plans. <laughs> yeah. I thought four hours and three minutes to finish my ultra was enough. 12 hours. That's sadistic. Well, when you're, sl- when you're slow. I would, t- I would tell people, Hey, where can they keep up with your journey and social media and all that stuff? But you don't, you're not much of a poster. I'm going to try to post a little more this year, but. Uh, I think yeah. people would enjoy following what's going on with you because I think some people, you maybe could be some people's Goggins, TJ. Perhaps. So why don't, you, why don't you throw out a handle just in case you get you decide to share a little more in the future? I mean, it's, I don't know, TJ Schroffnagel. You can look me up. You guys can tag me when you post it. but um, Spelled exactly how it sounds. Exactly. <laughs> um, you guys can tag me when you post it on the, on the thing. But, uh, you know, I share a lot of my family, the things that inspire me and, I really don't do much but hang out with my kids, work, and fish with Kirk. So um, <laughs> I am. I do have some plans to do some pretty hard stuff in the next year or two um, and just become better at this. So I appreciate you guys. I love listening to this podcast, not being a runner. It's super helpful. And I, like I said, I think people are just – people are interesting. So I love hearing everybody's story. It doesn't matter who it is. Um, and uh, I'm just – Thankful you guys had me on. This was fun. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man. See you at an ultra course soon. Yeah. See you boys there.